So last week we finished the book of Genesis, and in two weeks we're going to start the book of Matthew. That leaves us two Sundays in between Genesis and the book of Matthew. So a number of weeks ago, we asked you what you would like to hear us teach on. We asked you what would be interesting for you to hear. And it was crazy how many, we had hundreds of responses. My concern was is like, like two or three of you would respond and say, oh, whatever you want to preach on, that'd be great. But no, we had hundreds of responses of what you'd like to hear. And it was interesting that within those hundreds, hundreds of responses, there were, things were all over the board. There were multiple subjects and topics that were requested. But there were two topics that stood out above the others. The first topic was family, children, parents, husbands and wives, or a combination thereof. So this week, we are going to talk about family and family life. The second topic was culture or cultural issues and how they impact us as followers of Jesus Christ and how we're to impact or how we're to address the culture around us. So next week, Jim is going to address culture and cultural issues. But this morning... We are going to look at what God has to say to the family. So if you would, would you take your Bibles and would you open up to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 is found on page 949 in the Bible that the church provides. I'd encourage you to grab a Bible and follow along or open up your device and go to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, this may be one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible that addresses family life. There is instruction to wives, to husbands, to children, and to fathers and or parents. There is a lot of instruction here in Ephesians chapter 5 and into Ephesians chapter 6. Now, for some of you, these verses are so familiar, you've heard them so many times that there is going to be a danger that you are going to turn off your ears or that you are just going to get up and walk out during some time of which I'm speaking. My encouragement to you is to open up your ears and open up your hearts to hear what God may have to say to you this morning in a bit of a different way. Because when we open up the word, whether it's the first time or whether it is the 1,000th time that we go to the passage, God always has something for us to hear from him and something for us to apply to our lives. Now, there's another danger here. The other danger is that if you are not a wife, if you are not a husband, or if you are not a parent, you are likely to potentially turn off your ears and say, this is a sermon for someone else. It is not. It is a sermon for everyone because the instruction that comes out of these verses is applicable to each one of us in the lives that we are living for Jesus Christ. And on top of that, all of you are children. All of you are a son or a daughter to someone. Everyone in this room can be described as a child. Hopefully not child in action. So some of you may have a tendency or maybe have an idea that you can turn this off. Please don't. And then I also recognize that there are some of you that may have never heard these verses before. This may be completely new information to you. 
To you, I would ask you to open up your heart and your eyes, your ears, to hear, to see, and to understand what God's saying to you this morning through his word. All right, ready? A lot of information. We got a long way to go and a short time to get there. If any of you know that reference, the first person who comes to me with that movie reference, we will go out for a cup of coffee and I will buy. We got a long way to go and a short time to get there. <laughs> oh, I just dated myself very badly. Okay, Ephesians chapter five, follow along as I read beginning in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. These verses identify God's plan for a healthy family. The text has instruction to wives and husbands and to children and fathers and or parents. From these verses, we can see that God clearly cares about our families he clearly cares about how we interact with each other. He clearly cares about wives, about husbands, about children, and about parents. Now, although these verses are familiar to many of you, what is not likely so familiar is the context in which these verses are placed. And the context is extremely important in understanding what these verses have to say to each one of us. So let's first look at the context that these verses are placed in. Look first at verse 18. Verse 18, chapter 5, do not get drunk on wine. Now that's a good instruction. That's a good instruction overall. It is especially a good instruction if you want a healthy family. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Underline that. Be filled with the Spirit. 
and then comes a series of phrases which tell us the effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, what happens? You'll speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then I need you to notice something. Notice that in the NIV and in many other Bible translations, something happens that cuts off Paul's flow of thought. They put a period at the end of verse 20. A period, do you see it? The period at the end of verse 20? Then they make verse 21 part of a new section. You see that? But in the original, verse 21, verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ is actually part of the list of what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, verse 21 belongs with verses 19 and verse 20 as an explanation of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, not only will you speak in psalms, hymns, and songs, not only will you sing and make music, not only will you give thanks to God for everything, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means that you are voluntarily allowing the Holy Spirit of God to work in your life, leading you and guiding you. It means you do not get in the way of the Spirit's working in your heart and in your mind. It means that you allow the Holy Spirit to influence you, to influence your decisions, and to guide you into the things that he wants you to do and the things that he wants you to say. That's what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You are controlled and empowered by the Spirit of God. And if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will submit to others out of reverence for Christ, which means you give up your rights for the good of other people. It means we think of other people as being more important than ourselves and we act accordingly. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will submit to others. All of us will submit to others out of reverence to Christ. It is what we are supposed to do as followers of Jesus Christ. We give up our rights for the good of others. That's hard, isn't it? Like in your heart right now, if you're listening to me, are you kind of thinking to yourself, I don't like, no, if I like that. Most of us go to that place. Because most of us are taught to fight for our rights. Most of us are taught to fight for our good. Most of us are taught to be all that we can be. And in order to do that, you got to go after it. And if some people get in the way, that's okay. It's not what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
If you're a follower of Jesus, it means you are to be filled with the Spirit and you are not to get in the Spirit's way. And when you do not get in the Spirit's way, you will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And I believe that one of the best evidences of your submission to others out of reverence to Christ is when you choose to serve other people. You see, being filled with the Spirit leads to submission, which results in service. Write it down. Being filled with the Spirit leads to submission, which results in service. Look at, Jesus himself says this. Look at what Jesus says. Is he saying it yet? Okay. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, it leads to submission, which results in service. That is the context in which Paul places these instructions to the family. Paul uses the instructions to the family as an example of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit because Paul has this expectation that this is going to start, this submission and service is going to start in the family. And so he uses the family as an example and therefore he provides instructions to those in the family. Are you tracking with me? Context. If you are filled with the Spirit, it leads to submission, which results in service. And so what Paul does now is he gives instructions to each member of the family. And he shows each member of the family what their submission is going to look like, how they are going to serve the other people within the family. And so first, we have a word to husbands. First, a word to husbands. Now, I know if you're tracking with me, you think, well, Tom, that's not how the text started. The first line is, wives, submit to your husbands as you do unto the Lord. But we're going to start with husbands, and the reason is twofold. First, there are more verses of instruction, there are more words of instruction to the husband than there are to the wives. Secondly, and I think more revealingly, the way Paul wrote this passage is meant to primarily focus on the husbands. You see, this passage is written in a literary form called a chiastic structure. And within a chiastic structure, there is a focus that is the same at the beginning and at the end. And the focus at the beginning and at the end frames the focus in the middle. Paul starts out talking to wives and he ends talking to wives and in the middle he talks to husbands and in the ancient mind that was a red flag that was a ding 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 you are talking to husbands here now yes there's instruction to wives but the primary instruction in and through this passage is an instruction to husbands husbands submission and service to the family is summed up in one word. There is one word that summarizes the husband's role of submission and service to his family, but specifically to his wife. That word is love. 
The husband's primary act of submission and service is love. Husbands love. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The husband is to love his wife. This is his act of submission and his act of service. What does that love look like? Look at the verse again. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now that's a high standard. Jesus loves his church. He loved the church before the foundation of the world in eternity past. He loved the church that he decided to leave heaven, take on the form of a man, and come and live in this world. He loved the church so much that he lived a life of service. He loved the church so much that he chose abuse, he chose to be mocked, he was spit on, he chose to go to a cross, to die on a cross by having a spear shoved in his side. That is how much Jesus loved the church. He demonstrated his sacrificial love for the church by dying for the church. Husbands love. Husbands love your wife just as Christ loved the church. Husbands, you are to love your wife sacrificially in the same and in the exact way that Christ has loved each one of us. That's a sacrificial life that says, I am willing to die. I am willing to give up everything for my wife. Now, you may be sitting there and you may be thinking to yourself, you know what? I need an exception. I need, I got to think of some exception to this. I have husbands come into my office sometimes and they'll say, you know, if my wife, and I know as soon as they say, if my wife, you know, if my wife would just do this, then I would love her. If my wife would just submit to me, then I would respond to love with love. Nope. There are no exceptions. First principle here, sacrificial love has nothing whatsoever to do with whether it is deserved or not. Not one of us deserved Christ's love for us. Not one of us did anything which would cause Christ to respond to us in love because we're so good, because we're so deserving of what he should do for us. Sacrificial love is not given for what you could get back. It's not given because somebody deserves it. Husband, God is saying to you, love her even if she does not deserve it. Husbands sacrificially love their wives. Second, sacrificial love initiates. Sacrificial loves initiates. Not only did Christ die for us when we didn't deserve it, he didn't wait for us to ask for the love. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Christ initiated his love for us. Ours is just a response to what he's already done for us. That means if there's problems, if there's difficulties in the marriage or in the relationship, if things aren't going as well as they should, the responsibility falls on the husband to initiate the sacrificial love towards his wife. Husbands, 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church. If you are filled with the Spirit, you will submit, and your submission will be evidenced through your service, through your sacrificial love for your wife. Now a word to wives. Look at verse 22. This is the word to wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. This is God's specific instruction to wives. Often I have wives come into my office and they say, you know what? My husband's really not a good guy. You know what? I don't like that my husband does this or I don't like that my husband does that. My husband goes out and hunts too much. My husband, my husband, my response to the wife is, okay, I hear you. You may be completely accurate and correct, but what's God's instruction to you? It's not about what your husband does or what your husband says. This is what God's telling you to do. It's not what I'm telling you to do. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Remember the context. If we are filled with the Spirit, each one of us is going to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But the role of the wife within the family, her act of submission and her act of service is to submit to the husband. This is how the wife serves her husband, serves her family, and serves God himself. As I said earlier, submission means giving up your rights, voluntarily relinquishing your rights for the good of someone else. It also has the idea of putting yourself under the authority of someone else's leadership. And do you notice the qualifier? Follow your husband as you do to the Lord. It tells us that the wife willingly submits to her husband in the way that she willingly submits to Jesus Christ. Now, sadly, our culture views this position or this posture of submission as something that expresses some level of inequality or unfairness. That's not the case. That's not what's happening here. Further, sadly, within our culture, this verse, often within the church, this verse, sadly and wrongly, can be used to oppress or abuse, and that is not what is happening here. So I want to be clear about three things that this verse does not say. Three things that this verse does not say. It does not say that a wife is of lesser value than her husband. The submission, the act of submission is a role that has been assigned to the wife. And it cannot mean that she is of lesser value because Jesus Christ, we are told, submits to God the Father and they are of equal value. So it cannot be that the wife is of lesser value. This is just a designation of role and responsibility. It also does not mean, it does not mean that the wife or a woman is under the leadership of all men. This is in the context of a husband and a wife relationship. And it is an instruction to a wife in regard to her own husband, not all men. Thirdly, this does not mean that the husband is more important than Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is, is if there is a conflict between what your husband says and what Jesus says, you need to go with what Jesus says. You ultimately have to obey Jesus. 
Do you understand what this verse does not say? There's one more instruction to wives. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 tells wives to respect your husband. My encouragement would be that as a wife, you would respect your husband when he is sacrificially loving you in obedience to God. You see, this sacrifice is going to cost something. You see, we live in a world where gain and accumulation hold great value. We live in a world where gain and accumulation is rewarded. And when a husband goes against the grain and goes against the culture and chooses to sacrificially love his wife and his children, it likely means that he is going to be giving up something from a cultural or from a worldly perspective. Because he is going to be making a sacrificial choice for the benefit of his wife and his children. And the text here says when he does that, respect him for it. And I promise you, if you respect your husband for sacrificially loving you, for giving up the gain and accumulation that is offered through society, it will actually in turn cause your husband to want to sacrificially love you more and more. A note to husbands, a note to wives, and now a note to children. Chapter six, verse one. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Question for you. Raise your hands for this one, please. How many children are listening to me right now? Raise your hand if you're a child and you're listening to me right now. Good, most of you got it. <laughs> I gave you the clue earlier in the sermon. Every one of us in this room, are, we're all children. We are the son and daughter of someone. And Paul here writes this instruction to all children who have a parent or parents who are still living. All children are to listen to what Paul has to say here. But his instruction changes depending upon your age. So the first instruction is meant for children who are not married and who are still living under the care of their parents. In other words, children who are still being financially supported by their parents. So if you are, I'm not going to make you make your raise your hand, but if you are here this morning and you are a child who is financially supported by their parents, there is very specific instruction to you here this morning. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. What did God just tell you to do? Obey your parents. What does that mean? Okay, I don't need an 80-year-old to tell me what it means. I need like a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old to tell me what it means to obey your parents. What does that? Listen to them. Do what they tell you to do. It's a simple instruction. Why? Because God said to you, do it. He says it's right. Obey your parents because it's right. Do what they tell you to do because it is right. 
If you don't like it, quit being financially dependent upon your parents. It's your choice. If you're financially dependent upon your parents, obey them. Do what they tell you to do. The second instruction is to all children who still have a parent that is living. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. To honor someone means to value them highly, to give respect to, to pay special attention to. It doesn't mean you need to obey them, but it means you need to value your parent. You need to respect your parent. You need to pay special attention to your parent as long as they are living. Honor your father and mother. And it comes with a promise. If you do, if you can list a huge list of exceptions and excuses why your parents are not deserving of honor, you could list that out. But if you choose to do what God has instructed you to do, if you choose to honor them, God says for you, it's going to go well. It's going to go well. And not only is it going to go well, you are likely to have a long life. Do you want life to go well for you? Do you want life to go well for you? Yes. Do you likely want to live a long life? Yes. There's a promise. Honor your father and mother and it's going to go well for you. And you're likely to live a long life. A word to husbands, a word to wives, a word to children, and now a final word to parents. And this does not matter what kind of parent you are. You could be a single parent. You could be a married parent. You could be a foster parent. You could be a grandparent raising grandchildren. You could, whatever type of parent. If you are filled with the Spirit, you are called to submit to God and to serve your child or your children in a very specific way. Ephesians 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Do you see that subscript B that's next to the word fathers? Look at that subscript B that's next to the word fathers, then go down to the bottom of the page and find the subscript B that's there. You see that? It's not just instruction to fathers. You see, the Greek word that is in the original here could be translated parents because it includes both fathers and mothers. But it is true that the emphasis here primarily is upon and placed upon fathers. And that's a bit sobering. So if you're a father and you're sleeping through life, or if you're a father and you're working yourself silly through life, the instruction here is wake up and get your life balanced because you have a responsibility to train up your children in the way that they should go. So parents, how are you to serve your children? First, deliberately avoid things that exasperate your child. 
Other translations say, avoid things that provoke your child to anger. My translation would be, stop driving your kids crazy. Some parents make choices that just drive their kids crazy. And those choices usually revolve within two headings. Parents drive their kids crazy by indulging them or drive their kids crazy through harshness or legalism. Those are the two extremes that will drive a child crazy, indulgence or harshness. So what Paul does is he responds with the positive or the opposite encouragement to parents. So he says to the parent, train your child. This is another way of saying discipline your child. And if you train and you discipline your child, you're addressing the issue of indulgence. Train or discipline your child. The other instruction to parents is instruct your child or exhort them, encourage them. And this is the instruction that counters harshness or legalism. So Paul says to you and to me, train your child, instruct your child. Don't drive them crazy by being indulgent. And don't drive them crazy by being harsh or being a legalistic person and parent. Instead, train and instruct your child. So what does that look like? What does it look like to train or instruct your child? Well, I have a top 10 list that I have created. I've taken a number of different sources and I've compiled them into a top 10 list of what it looks like to train up your child, to instruct your child, to not exasperate your child. Don't drive them crazy. What does it look like? Now, some of you may have seen this before. I've shared this before. But again, I believe that there's enough new people here and there's enough people that need a reminder of what it looks like to train your child. Number one, the first way you train up your child is you recognize that Jesus is life and life is all about Jesus. Jesus is life. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we are to live a life fully devoted to him. Our life is to be saturated with Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Our lives are to be saturated with Jesus. And when your life is saturated with Jesus, your children will see it. The problem is, is often we only talk or think about Jesus on Sunday morning or when we have trouble or pain in our lives. We don't give Jesus in on our life. We don't even think about Jesus when it comes to what TV we're going to watch or how our social media habits are going to be regulated or what music we listen to. We often don't think about Jesus when it comes to our work or our play, our rest, our relaxation, what house we're going to buy, what car we're going to buy where we're going to live. Jesus is to saturate all of our lives, everything. And when he does, your children will see it. And if he doesn't, your children will see that as well. Number two, pray. I hope you're taking notes. Pray, 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 pray. Pray for your children. 
plead before God for their salvation, for their holiness, for their perseverance. Pray for your children. Pray in front of your children. Have them hear you talk to God. Have them hear the desires of your heart that you express to God. And when you do, when they listen, when they see, when they hear you pray, they will learn to pray as well and they will see it as a value for them and they will begin to pray. Pray, pray, pray. Number three, make the Bible the most important book. Make the Bible the most important book for your children. But for it to be the most important book for your children, it needs to be the most important book for you. That means you need to read the Bible. You need to spend time in the Bible. There are a lot of other Christian books that are really good books of information and encouragement and guidance, but the ultimate book, the Bible, is the very word of God. It is if God is actually himself speaking to you. Make the Bible the most important book for you, and for your children, tell your children that it is the word of God. Tell your children that God's very plan and purposes are revealed in this book. Tell and show your children that all of the answers to life's biggest questions are answered in that book. It's the very word of God. Number four, be an example of faith. Be an example of faith. Every single one of us needs to be an example of faith, needs to have an example of faith. And my encouragement to you, if you are a parent, and my encouragement to all of you, even if you're not a parent, is be an example of faith to somebody. But if you are a parent, you are to be the example of faith to your children. Your children need to see that you have faith in God, that you believe that God is who he says he is, that you believe that God is the one who does the miraculous, that God is the one who provides salvation, that God is the one who provides for your life, that you have a firm belief that God is God. Now, this doesn't mean that you're perfect. We're not asking for perfection here. We're asking you to be real and to demonstrate a faith that God believes. And if you act upon your faith, and if you do something, if you as a husband sacrificially love your wife, your child is going to see that. If you as a wife submit to your husband as you do unto the Lord, your child is going to see that. And when your child sees you doing something that costs you for following Jesus, that becomes the ultimate example of faith. What have you done that has cost you to follow Jesus? And when you demonstrate sacrifice and service, your children will see that example of faith. Sorry, I'm gonna make this clear good. Good. Number five. Number five, be happy. There is not one child that wants to live a sad, melancholy life. So if you are a follower of Jesus, be happy. Be happy that you know Jesus. Be happy that you have the one who is the life and the truth, who is full of mercy and grace. Now, this does not mean that life is necessarily easy. 
There are difficulties throughout life, but there is no other way to live life than as a follower of Jesus Christ. For in him there is freedom and there is fullness and there is joy to life. Be happy. Nobody wants to follow a dour Christian. Certainly not your children. Number six, discipline. Be a parent who properly disciplines their children or their child. No child comes out of the womb properly disciplined in understanding life and having the proper boundaries and structure for their lives. Children come out of the womb raging little animals. They come out, think about it. They come out crying, fussing, selfish. They poop in their pants. There is not one child that comes out disciplined and has structure and boundaries to their lives. My friends, no five-year-old can make the decision, can make life's decisions. No five-year-old can create their own boundary or structure. Many 16-year-olds have trouble creating boundary and structure in their life. It is your duty and your call as a parent to create that boundary, to create that structure on behalf of your child. And when your child steps out of the boundary or steps out of the structure, consequences are required so they jump back into it. No five-year-old can make their own decisions. They actually still believe in Santa Claus. Number seven, be humble and willing to apologize. Be humble and willing to apologize. If as a parent or as a person, you have not figured out that you're not right 100% of the time, there was a double negative that was horrible. Let me say it this way. No one is right 100% of the time. No parent is right 100% of the time. And just because you're the parent does not mean you are right. So remember, if you've come to a point in time when you recognize that you are wrong, when you recognize that you've made a mistake, in humility, go to your child and say, I am sorry. If you don't have all the answers, humbly admit to your child that you do not have all the answers. It's okay. And see what it does for the relationship with your child because guess what? Your child knows you don't have all the answers. And your child knows you're not always right. So be willing to say, I'm sorry. And see what happens to that relationship. Number eight, worship together. Worship together. That means you come to this place or another church if God has called you to another church and you worship God in this place with other followers of Jesus Christ. You see, we believe that Jesus is uniquely present in this place. He is uniquely present in this place. And when we gather together to worship him as followers of Jesus Christ, we experience his presence in a very real way. And this does not happen on the soccer field. It does not happen in a hockey rink, on a basketball court, or on a volleyball court. It only happens when the assembly of followers of Jesus Christ gather to worship him. So bring your children here so they see that this is of utmost importance to you, that you are one who 
who comes to this place and bows your knee before Jesus Christ, who sings songs to Jesus, who may even raise their hand a time or two to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and he is worthy of the glory that we give him. When you gather in this place in worship, you will also sometimes get a brief glimpse of what heaven is actually going to be like and your children need to see that. Number nine, uphold holiness. Uphold holiness. Ultimately, you need to encourage your son or your daughter that God is a God of mercy and grace, but you also have to encourage your child that God is not only a God of mercy and grace, but he is a God of truth and justice who calls us to be holy because he is holy. And us being holy is pleasing to him. So as parents. We need to encourage our children in holiness, which means you need to have discussions with your children about sexual purity, about financial integrity, about truthfulness, about what it means to be holy in the sight of God. Number 10, love. Love your children. Love your children. Hug them Kiss them, wrap your arms around them, hug them, spend time with them. Quality time over quantity time is a myth. Spend time with your children. When I was going through this list, I spent a lot of time with my children. I really did, but if I just had more time, if I could go back, I would spend even more time with my children. Spending time with your children is how you demonstrate that you love them. And when you do, your children will know that the other nine things are actually true as well. And more importantly, they will know that God, their heavenly father, loves them. Next, I know I said 10, but there's actually 11. I figured somebody would walk out if I told you you were 11 at the beginning. 11, remember God. And this is what I mean by that. Remember that your heavenly father, remember that your child's heavenly father is a better father or mother to that child than you are. And that's a good thing. And remember that your heavenly father loves them more than you love them. Think how much you love your child. God the Father loves them more than you do. He cares for them more than you do. He wants what's best for them more than you want what's best for them. At some point in time, eventually every one of us have to say, we have to give our children back and we have to say, Lord, they were already yours. I'm giving them to you, they're yours. Remember God. There's a lot of information. God cares about the family. And ultimately, the takeaway here, my encouragement as I close to you is be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't get in the way of the Holy Spirit. Allow him to lead you, to guide you. Allow him to influence. Allow him to control your life. And when you do, you will respond in submission to others out of reverence for Christ. That submission will then cause you to serve other people. 
and you will be a demonstration in your family to what it means to live in love like Jesus. And then your family will be a demonstration to the world of what it means to live and to love like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.